today's episode, we discuss episode two of Making a Murderer, the Stephen Avery case. Hello, hello, hello. Hi here. Once again, I'm all alone. But I did want to say I apologize for being late with this week's episode. I really hope you're going to forgive me, but I have a good excuse. I was actually traveling and the location I'm in is with my entire family, so I couldn't find a quiet spot, but I finally did. You still might hear a bit of noise, um, but you can hear the difference in the sound. It's kind of echoey. I apologize. Traveling, not in my normal recording space, but still. I am late. The episode's still coming out. Apologies. Okay, now moving on. Again, I'm alone, but hopefully soon the dynamic duo of Rick and Kai will be back together. So we're hoping sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, y'all already know what I always say. The show must go on, just like me traveling, and I still have to do the show because my lovely lambs, our lovely lambs, you're waiting. I know. I love you for it. Thank you. If you don't know us, we're Love and Murder Podcast, which is a weekly true crime podcast discussing relationships that went way wrong. Every episode is told in the form of a story with mystery, suspense, and just a tiny bit of humor that is never, ever at the expense of the victim. Join us every Sunday for new full-length episodes. You can also head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash love and murder for lots of exciting bonuses. And a disclaimer about basically detectives. If you're coming to our little segment of love and murder to basically find out exactly what whatever episode we're talking about, like what's going on in the episode without even watching it, then you have come to the wrong place because we don't give you a whole rundown of the episode. We're just basically telling you about our thoughts while we're watching the episode or our thoughts Oh, after we've watched the episode. Me personally, I do my thoughts as I'm watching it. So you basically hear the rundown of it as I'm watching it. And if it's Rick, he comes with his synopsis after he's through watching it. So if you've watched this episode, shoot us an SOS. You can go to our website, www.murderandlove.com. That's love and murder backwards, murderandlove.com. And right there on the homepage, you'll see the SOS. You click it to leave us a message. And if you go to, I think it's all over our social media right now, I actually did a video on how to send us an SOS if you were confused about how to do that. If you don't want to send us an SOS, you could actually just leave a comment below and we can still discuss your comment on the show. No problem. Now, Making a Murderer is the case of Stephen Avery, and we are on the second episode so far. So part one, episode two. Uh, Or yeah, I think that's how it's labeled. Part one, episode two, or episode one, part two, something like that. Anyway, we're on the second episode. So as usual, grab your butts and your apple juice, and let's get to it. So if you remember in the last episode, they left us on this crazy cliffhanger. I can't wait to see what happens. Like I was just like, I I purposefully didn't continue watching because obviously I had to watch to document for y'all. So let's get into it. In the beginning of this second episode, I heard that he said, like they said, his wife divorced him 
which kind of was like, like disappointing because I thought she was there standing by him, but she divorced him while he was in prison. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't really blame her for it. I was just commenting on this tidbit because it just surprised me because I thought she was still there. Then the second thing I noticed was the amount of people who suddenly was by his side, especially the politicians had him by his side, had him by their side all the time. Every time they were going to campaigns, especially if they were trying, you know, running for re-election or anything like that or election. So basically they were using this poor man as a prop. And I think he was just so happy for the attention because nobody was giving him attention before, meaning he's trying to get his case heard and nobody was listening. And so he was so happy for this attention that he was just going along with these, with, uh, with this. Now, remember when he was in prison for something he didn't do, all of these people were quiet when he was fighting to get out and his mom was sending letters all here and there and everywhere. And everybody was sending it back to her with, yeah, we can't do this right now and everything. All of them were quiet. Now you already know what I would have done. They would have gotten from me, what? My behind to kiss, fuck her up. That's what they would have gotten. I'm not going to be your puppet. I'm not going to be your poster. No, no, you weren't there to help me. I'm sure not going to be there to help you. Now, while these shenanigans were going on, People with a more serious agenda had gathered together and made an Avery task force to review police and prosecute. Uh, okay, I'm gonna try and say this word: prosecutorial practices throughout the state. And they had Stephen as the first person to testify. So after they made this um, this task force, the first person they had to testify was Stephen. And this happened in December of 2003. Now in his testimony, he talked about, you know, how his family tried to stick by him while he was in prison and everything, but he ended up pushing everyone away because how he was figuring it was how hard it was for his family. And even though, you know, he's in prison, he's trying to get out. He didn't do it. He didn't want them focused on that. He wanted them to go on and live their lives and be happy in their lives and not, you know, focus on what's going on with him. While watching this episode, I really found it funny, funny, and I don't mean a ha-ha kind of funny, but how all of these news outlets were all up his butt. But then my question was, where were they when he needed them the most? You know what I'm saying? Where were all these news outlets when he needed them the most? And it was news outlets that his mom sent these, uh, remember she made a folder with all this paperwork, all this evidence and everything. And sent it off to the news outlets and everything. And what they do? They sent it back. Now that he's out of prison, they can't get enough of him. Also, remember Penny. She's the one that he ended up going to prison because, but it wasn't his fault. She actually testified for him with the task force. She actually testified for him. And she apologized to him. Not even the police who put him in prison, apologized to him, but she apologized to him. I'm going to say allegedly. I can't remember if the police apologized to him, but I don't remember them doing it. So I'm just going to say allegedly because they might've done it. So Penny testified and apologized to him. 
And I was actually happy to see that because remember the last episode of Basically Detectives, I was wondering how she felt. So now we know. And then on top of that, Steven said he even forgave her for accusing him of the crime. But some people he didn't forget forgive. And he said he will never forgive law enforcement. And look, with that scenario, I can completely feel him. I I understand. I can't say that I don't understand. I totally understand. Now, what the task force did um, was they pushed for police reform and they also put forward the Avery Bill. So this is what the task force ended up being about. And <laughs> how could I forget? How could I forget compensation? He was put away for 18 years. And that's part of what his lawyer and the task force and everything was working on. He is put away for 18 years. He had children to take care of. He had a wife. He still, you know, all his livelihood was taken from him, you know, and I can't believe I forgot about that. I can't believe I did. So they talked about the the compensation, like, yeah, I was in jail for 18 years. So, you know, I kind of, you were wrongly convicted. It wasn't like I was, you know, this was right or whatever. So what can you do for me in terms of compensation? And they were like, oh yeah, we could, uh, we understand. We, 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 you know, sympathize with you and everything. And we understand that you need compensation for this. So this is what we're going to do. All right. I'm going to write down this number and I'm going to add some zeros and you're going to tell me what you think. So they wrote down a number and they slid it across the table. This isn't really what happened, but they did write down a number, slid it across the table and his lawyer picked it up and probably just like, just about died laughing. They were like, are you serious? Guess what that number was? $25,000 for 18 years, 18 years in prison. They were trying to give him $25,000. That's maybe someone's salary for a year, one year. They were trying to do that for 18 years. Can you talk about insult on top of insult and then in the middle, an insult? So an insult sandwich? Uh, And of course, I guess his lawyer thought so too, because they were like, let me write down a number for you. N O. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, what do you think about that number? (laughs) So his lawyer actually told them that it should be 25,000 a year that he was put away. So a bipartisan group of legislators began working to pay Stephen $450,000 in wrongful conviction compensation. And so that actually equaled out to the $25,000 a year for every year that he was put away. Like, To me, that wasn't even something he should have even had to ask for. So number one, the fact that he had to ask for it, like, are you serious? And then number two, after he asked for it, y'all were like, yeah, let me insult you some more. I mean, I know we wrongfully put you away and everything. We completely ignored all the facts and who who looks at facts anyway, right? No, who looks at facts? Let me just put you away, took your life away from you. You didn't even see your children grow up. Your wife left you because of it. Eh, eh, I just, eh. 25,000? What do you think? (laughs) Like, are you crazy? Anyway, 
So then his cousin Kim, not the cousin who hated him, another cousin, said that she thought he should um, get away from all these fake people who like never liked him. So basically the town, these fake people who never liked him, liked him, never fought for him in the first place and all of this stuff. She didn't say all of that. I'm saying all of this, but she thought he should just move away. Um, but he decided this is his home. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, basically he said, and I keep saying basically, you know what? I was listening to the last episode and I was like, wow, this is why this episode is called basically detectives. The amount of times I say basically, ugh. anyways, so I apologize for that, but I guess, I don't know. So he literally said, that he won't let anyone run him out of his home and this is where he's going to stay. And then they went on to another part. Again, I'm not telling you everything. Then one year after he got out, he still hadn't gotten his money. They're still fighting for the money. They tried to give him that 25,000. It's been a year. He still has gotten nothing, nothing. And he said he still hadn't forgiven law enforcement. I think he'll never forgive them. But Stephen ended up because, you know, after that year of nothing coming his way and on top of all other stuff, it wasn't just this, but he wanted to file a civil suit for um, a couple of reasons. So number one was to be compensated for the time that he lost. So that's what he was doing. And then number two, because he didn't want this happening to anyone else, what he went through, what the victim went through what the other woman who was raped went through uh, because, you know, the police put the wrong person in prison. So the actual person who was out doing the crime was still out committing crimes. So he didn't want this to happen to other people. So this is why he, he um, filed the civil suit in the first place and, you know, fighting to get it approved. And the suit basically said that what the sheriff, and this is what it said you could see the documents and everything that what the sheriff and the district attorney should have done was turn in the evidence that they had to the defense and they didn't do it. And that's all part of the trial. That's all part of the investigation. And they didn't turn the evidence that they had into the defense. So the suit was for gross negligence on their part, which I mean, Talk about gross negligence. Literally, that's when that phrase comes in. You had one job. job. You failed me once again, Starscream. And um, this suit was actually for $1 million for every year that he spent in prison and another $18 million uh, for penalty damages. So this particular suit was a total of $36 million in damages. So at first he was just asking for, what was it? 200, what was it again? 450,000. A year later, none of that came through. So now it's 36 million. I mean, <laughs> should have done the 450, right? Now, ooh, this part here. They were talking to a deputy, Judy, I don't know how to say her last name, Vorak. I don't know if you pronounce the D as D-V- O-R-A-K. So we're just going to say Dvorak. Dvorak. I think it's just Dvorak. Now, the first thing that I noticed is when I saw her face 
honestly, the first thing I thought was, here we go. And not in a good way. Just here we go. All right. Now, they're asking her questions about that night when she took a statement from Penny. Remember we talked about that in the first episode? She took a statement from Penny. And so they're asking her about that. And of course, you already know what she's doing. She pleads the fifth. She pleads the fifth. One, two, three, four, fifth. You already know she's doing that. So she denied everything. Like, Penny? I don't don't recall a Penny. I'm sorry. She didn't really do that. But she was denying everything. Like, she never told Penny that that sounds like Stephen Avery. (laughs) Dude, dude. She said that. I I don't remember saying that. Like, oh, <laughs> it's like, are you serious right now? She said, no, I didn't. I don't remember saying that. So basically she's saying everyone's a liar except her, you know, you know, Penny's lying on me. I can't believe I just tried to help her and she's just lying on me. So to me, the fact that Deputy Judy is calling everyone a liar and acting like she didn't do it. Isn't that gross? negligence like i'm just wondering wondering for a friend wondering for a podcast wondering for a bunch of people listening right now (laughs) but seriously if i were the interviewer i'd lean in as she was saying she didn't know and all this stuff just deny 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 i would lean in and ask her like just whisper don't even remember what i had for breakfast how do you remember without a shadow of a doubt, exactly what you said to Penny over 18 years ago. That's what I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. You have an amazing memory. Shifting through all those cases that you've had for the last 18 plus years, and you can pinpoint in your head case and exactly what you didn't tell one person amazing. I wish I had that kind of memory. And then I'd sit back. (laughs) Do you think I'd get fired? Mm. I'll never work in this city again. And then there was this one point, y'all, this one point. They were reading off this statement that was taken over 18 years ago. And y'all, you have to see what was written on that statement. But I'm going to tell you one thing that they pointed out in the statement. They said, Judy described Avery as, quote, such a dirty man that every time he would come to the jail, the sheriff's deputy would have to make Avery take a shower. And then they asked her if she said that to Penny. And of course, she says, Judy said, was that, she possibly could have maybe said it at one point in time during a rotation of the earth when the sun was responsible for warming our planet. Maybe is a possibility, but definitely no, but there's still maybe, I'm not sure. I plead the fifth. (laughs) She said she possibly said that, but not in the words that I just said, but she said, I I could have possibly said that. Right. About everything that Penny said that she told her about, you know, saying this is it's it's definitely Avery or saying that he's like dirty or all that stuff. She then put the cherry on top by saying, quote, 
She took the words out of context. What I, I, I just, I'm not, so I'm questioning and it's, I'm asking for a friend who's named Kai. Coincidence, we're named the same thing, but I'm just wondering. I want, what could, <laughs> try to think about how to put this. What could she have possibly meant by those words just to have been taken out of context? Like wh- what other context could there be, could there have been in basically what she was saying? I'm just wondering. I don't know what other, other context she could have taken. I, I don't know. Well, you know, if you say that uh, Stephen Avery really did it, maybe she really meant that he didn't do it, but he did. And he was the one I saw at the beach. But no, he didn't do it. But then I had to give evidence that he did. Maybe that's what she was talking about. Like, I don't know. I know that was confusing. That's exactly how I felt. And oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, guys. Remember the last episode where I talked about that guy who has a composite drawing in his office? Dude, he is a chief deputy. Are you serious right now? And they told him that the person who was described to him was Gregory Allen. So they basically said, can he describe to you Gregory Allen? And he was like, no, she didn't. Now, my question is, how can you deny that? That's what happened. And then you decided to draw Steven. That's literally what happened. But of course, you're going to be like, no, no, she didn't say that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Johnson, roll tape. That'd have been me. And oh my God, you guys. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. There was another shocking part. They're telling him that the DNA proved that it was Gregory Allen and not Stephen Avery. Do you know what he said to them? Do you know what he said to them? He said, and I'm going to quote here. He said, quote, you know that. I don't know that. I don't think what the papers are saying are true. End quote. So apparently, according to him, this is one huge conspiracy. A huge conspiracy because everybody's behind it. But could it be a conspiracy against you? Like, I'm trying to figure out the conspiracy, like the entire town, the entire state, the entire country. Everybody's out to get you and make it look like, oh, yeah, he's the one who said this. He drew from this picture. I I was just left with my mouth, my jaw hanging open. I didn't think I could be any more shocked in this, in this case, in this documentary, but I guess I was wrong. And then on top of all of that, this guy sat there and argued with the journalist about the evidence and asking if the evidence was accurate. He was literally arguing with them. He said, he said that his sketch was more of a clue as to who did this, even without any evidence. His sketch sealed the... Johnson, look at his sketch. 
Does that look like Stephen to you? Open and shut case. I don't want to hear anymore. But no, there's evidence. Stephen was actually over at a bar. He has a whole newspaper. Just randomly, he was holding a newspaper with some witness right next to him and the entire bar was be. I don't want to hear anything. My sketch looks like Stephen. We're over. Open and shut case, Johnson. That's crazy. Now we're up to 2005. Remember the compensation we were talking about? Do you think he has it yet? Do you think he's seen one red cent of it yet? I'm going to wait for you to answer that question. No, no, no. No, 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 no. I know I'm not sitting in front of you and I know you're just listening to your AirPods right now, but I'm going to wait for you to answer that question because I want you to answer that question if you think by 2005 he's gotten anything. I'll wait. Okay, that's as long as I'm going to wait, but still. So now, if you think I couldn't get any more down the the, uh, apple juice and sit down. Get ready for this. In 1994 or in 95, while Stephen was in prison, a phone call came in from another police station saying that they had somebody in custody for an assault where someone else was doing the time for. I'm going to repeat that so you can absorb this. While Stephen was in prison in 94 or 95, another police station called into this police station and was like, hey, we have someone in custody for an assault where someone else was doing the time for this assault. So to refresh your memory, 94, 95, this is around the time that they were trying to clear Steven's name using those fingernail scrapings. Remember that? And if you remember that, do you remember what happened? It got thrown out because they said you can't ascertain what's under the nails and who she scratched before she was assaulted and all that stuff. Do you remember that? At that time, that's when the call came in. That's when this call came in and they left Steven in prison. I, I, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even. And then on top of that, they're saying there's no record for this. But then in 2003, when Stephen was released, they contacted the sheriff to tell them about the call and document it. So that office was like, hey, 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 look, um, we remember there was a call that came in and you're the one who made this call. Um, can you tell us about this call? Because um, that day you called, the ink ran out of, uh, the uh, printer ran out of ink. We ran out of paper. We couldn't find any pencils. All the pens were ink free. And even though we went to the store, they were all out of pens because it was like the beginning of school. And uh, everybody's phone, we couldn't write any text in there. We Look, it was just a thing that day. So I need you to go through this whole thing again. Can you, can you just let us know what happened? Um, that'd be, that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. Another thing I noticed, and it was just, just like the first episode, you got to see how these people are answering straightforward questions. You have to see the kind of loop-de-loop-de-loop-de-loops they're making while trying to answer, while trying not to answer actually straightforward question. Like this whole thing, I'm just like, I'm baffled at, so I'm only on episode two. 
my jaw's gonna break for how long it's gonna go down it's gonna be like on the ground <laughs> and normally i would actually ask people like i would wonder if they felt bad for making such a huge mistake and putting an innocent person in prison for years but but the way these people are answering these questions and then not only that you guys the looks in their eyes you got to look in their eyes Mm-mm. i won't even bother asking if they're feeling bad about this i just the answer they're going to say yes they're going to say yes because that's what they're supposed to say but are they going to mean yes and again I just want to speak, uh, point out that I'm speaking about law enforcement and everything just in this documentary, not everywhere, just in this documentary. And on the same note, once again, I didn't think I could be any more shocked. Once again, I was so wrong. There's a part where it's documented that one sheriff told another that due to a call that came in, it's possible that Greg committed the crime and not Steven. It's documented, you guys. They asked this sheriff if he remembers this. I mean, what do you think he said? I'm just asking. They asked the sheriff, hey, do you remember getting that call and and then saying that? And they even showed him the document like she was right here. What do you think he said? I'm just, what do you think he said? Shoot me an SOS. Shoot me an SOS with what you think he said. Or if you've watched it, you know, you can obviously you can tell me what he said and how you felt, what you did when you, when you saw that part. Ah, and then just after they went through the deposition with all of these officers, it was so bad that the documentarian said that this is as close to a conspiracy of silence as you can get. This is what they said. They've never seen anything like this. And this is as close to a conspiracy of silence as you can get. Now, I have to disagree with them here because he's saying this is as close as you can get. But I disagree with them here because this is a conspiracy of silence. Don't you think? Like, let me know. Don't you think this is a conspiracy of silence? Not as close to it as you can think. No, it is. And then in one point they were talking about how like the police station is covered in insurance or is covered by the insurance. But I don't know. You can call me stupid, but I just never knew or even thought that police stations and sheriff offices were covered in, sh- in insurance. It would make sense because, you know, people get out, they could, you know, come after their, re- oh, whatever. I don't know. But they had insurance and I guess usually insurance would cover situations like this. What do you think the insurance says? Mm, just tell me, what do you think the insurance says? What is the theme for today? The insurance was like, mm, I, no, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. This has nothing to do with us. And they refused to cover the sheriff's, sheriff's office, which would have actually helped cover the expenses in the lawsuit. But the insurance company said after Stephen, you know, got out, you know, they and the the reason why he was locked up and all the negligence and everything like that they refused to cover this 
And honestly, I don't feel bad for them. Not the insurance company, but the sheriff's offices. I don't feel bad for them at all. Now, October 2005, as they were about to sink these sheriffs, like they were about to take them out. Like, let me not say it like that. They were about to close their case on these sheriffs. A woman named, and look, just listen, as they were about to do this, suddenly a woman named Teresa Hallback went missing. But then my question is, well, what does that have to do with Steven? Because that's exactly how they presented it on screen. Teresa went missing. So my question was, what does that have to do with Steven? Dude, dude, if you were doing like me just now and you were, when you heard that initial sentence and you were like, what does Steven have to do with this? But then the next thing they show is the news coverage of it. And I think your tinfoil conspiracy hat is going to pop right onto your head. So who is this Teresa person? Teresa took pictures of cars for the Car Trader magazine. So kids, back in the day, people didn't go to the internet to buy cars. They either went to the dealership or got these free magazines from the rack at the grocery store that had pictures of nothing but cars for sale. It would have a picture, a price, and some information about the car and how to reach whoever's selling it. So this is basically what she did. She was the one who took the pictures. Ironically, on the day she went missing, she had three stops in, you guessed it, Manitowoc County. Mm-hmm. And even more ironically, yeah, I know that's not, not how you say it, but still, her last stop was Stephen's home. And if this doesn't already smell like a crap load of setup, then I don't know what does. What's even more ironic is where they found the car. Guys, take a while, guess where they found a car. I'm not going to tell you. But what I am going to tell you is that my conspiracy hat is feeling quite heavy on my head right now. Now I'm watching this and I realize that it's the very beginning of the investigation. investigation so it seems like they're being very, very careful with what they're saying, especially especially about Steven, like they're really trying not to mention his name, but still trying to act like we're investigating in this area, but just not mentioning his name. But last time, if you remember, they were excited to scream his name from the rooftops, you know? And then Steve came out and said something that I was thinking. He said, quote, if the county did something to her and they're trying to put it on me, I don't put any past anything past the county, end quote. So basically that's how he put it. But it's just like he was saying, you know, they might have did something to her and then try to frame him for it. So, I mean, I wasn't thinking that they did something to her, but I was thinking that they might have tried to frame him for whatever happened to her. That's what I was thinking. Now, also, you guys. This happened. So while they were searching through Stephen's house, one of the officers came across a letter and I guess one of them were was holding the letter or the camera or whatever. But it was two officers standing there and one of them read a letter that was addressed to him. 
and it was from the University of Wisconsin's law school. And they wanted him to do a luncheon or to come to come to a luncheon for exonerated people in the Wisconsin area. And what it was was they would come together to support each other. So it was a support luncheon for people who were in his situation. And do you know that she laughed at that? She literally laughed at that. And then she said, quote, I don't think he's going to be able to make it. So they had like no evidence. They're just at his house looking around. They didn't even know where she was. All they knew was that she was missing. And here they are saying, saying this, I don't think he's going to make it. And it's just a coincidence right now. It's just a coincidence that Teresa's car is in his yard. But once again, they've already written him off as guilty because, you know, open and shut case, you know, you know how I say open and shut case, Johnson, you know, Johnson keeps trying to do his job correctly, but this department keeps sucking him down like one man against them all. Officer Johnson, poor Johnson. But seriously, this department hasn't learned yet, really. Now, while they were doing this investigation in search of uh, Stephen's property, they didn't allow any of the Averys on the property for eight days, eight days while they conducted the search. Now, I'm wondering, is that even legal? You know, they could have planted something. They could have done anything they wanted. They didn't allow anybody on the property for eight days. I mean, basically, that's my conspiracy hat you know, talking to me, but I'm just saying. And it's also funny how they didn't let anyone else on the site, only the same department who put Steven away in the first place. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of, as a young kid say, that's kind of a bit sus. That's hella sus. My daughter would really, actually, she's looking at me crazy right now because she's sitting right next to me. As soon as I said that, she looked at me like, mom, really? I love messing with her. That's hella sus. Um, now, I'm looking at this documentary and the, quote, evidence they found. So now after they've done their investigation and they came out and did the press conference, they started talking about how much evidence they found. And me personally, it's what I like to call an orgy of evidence, Teresa's bones were found in an incendiary tank on Stephen's property. And wait till you see where this tank is. Then her key was found on his bedroom floor in plain sight, like literally right there. Like you could just walk in the room and be like, oh, there are her keys right there. And then her car was just sitting in his lot. Like, really? And it's funny how the people who did the investigation made sure to say that this particular police department only provided resources for them when it was needed. So they're saying that they had nothing to do with this. They only provided like water and blankets or whatever. I'm just saying, quote, water and blankets. That's just me. But they made sure to say that this police department wasn't in the mix, but then they proceeded to drive the bus over Stephen and back up and drive over it again and then jump on his bones. And like, they just really like, 
And then the other thing that, that I noticed or that was said was that during all of this, his attorney couldn't find him. They were calling him. They were driving around the town for him. Like they couldn't find him. And check this out, y'all. When the reporters were asking the investigation, the investigators where Stephen was, they literally responded that they knew, but they weren't going to say, I know where he is, but I'm not going to tell you. Then one reporter yelled out, quote, he deserves an attorney. So basically what's happening is they're keeping this guy away from everyone and going to question him without counsel. Now, I'm not saying this part to be mean, but I'm saying it as a reminder and a matter of fact. Remember that this guy's IQ is only 70 and they want to pressure him and question him without his attorney present. Now, the interrogation video, guys, I can't, I just can't. I kept having to pause this interrogation. I mean, they didn't show the whole thing, but the parts, parts that they did show, I kept having to pause after it because my blood was boiling. Basically, that's what I'm going to say about this. Well, I am going to say this one thing. The prosecutor that spoke with the media said that it was absurd what Stevens said about the cops planting evidence. So remember what he said earlier? He said, it's absurd what Stevens said about them. Quote, walking, he was like, he was like, this is what the, this is what you think the investigators were doing. Quote, walking around with vials of his sweat or something, end quote. And my question to him was, is it, is it really absurd? About as absurd as a whole police department who had a novel full of evidence showing that this guy was nowhere near a woman who got assaulted, but they put him in prison anyway and left the attacker out to attack twice more. As absurd as that. I mean, is that the same level of absurd? Because I'm just wondering, I'm asking for all our lambs out there. Now, after watching this episode, I could honestly say that my blood pressure numbers have gone up two digits. This crap, I was going to say something else, was crazy. Oh my God. What do y'all think about this episode? Last episode left me like, but this episode left me like, so let's see what next week's episode does. I'm wondering if my conspiracy hat is going to get any heavier next week. Will my blood pressure go up even more? Stay tuned for these answers to these questions and more next Wednesday, right here on Love and Murders, Basically Detectives. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing, because I, I had to research this because I uh, my curiosity, you know me and my curiosity. So I did have to research this. Remember the Avery task force that I mentioned earlier? Well, I wanted to find out what happened to it as I'm sure you did too. So I researched it for us. These excerpts come from the postcrescent.com and I'll put the direct link uh, to this article in the show notes below so you can read it yourself if you want. So the whole thing is a quote. Legislators, judges, prosecutors, attorney, law enforcement, and the Wisconsin Innocence Project, which which represented Avery in the 1985 case, developed reforms. 
The culmination of the group's work was 2005 Wisconsin Act 60, which created provisions meant to enhance the, reli enhance the reliability of the criminal justice system. Those included procedures on the recording of police investigations, eyewitness identifications, and testing and uh, preservation of biological evidence. It also extended the prosecution time limits for crimes related to sexual assault. The provisions were that you require that whenever possible, an officer who doesn't know the identity of the suspect conducts the witnesses interviews or sorry, conducts the witnesses viewing of possible suspects. So the officer can't even unintentionally cue the witness to pick a certain person. Uh, another one is show the witness possible suspects one by one instead of at the same time. Also limit officers verbal and nonverbal reactions to minimize the possibility that an officer will cause witnesses to identify a suspect or overstate their confidence in an identification. Now, somebody said this, quote, sometimes it's forgotten in the dialogue. What you have is when someone is wrongfully convicted, you have an innocent person sitting in prison, but you also have a guilty person still on the loose. This was said by Judge Mark D. Gundrum, who formed the task force when he was a state representative. Quote, if you don't have the right person, the dangerous one is still out there. The task force was renamed the Criminal Justice Reforms Task Force after Avery was charged in the homicide of 25-year-old freelance photographer Teresa Hallback. Can y'all believe that? Yes, oh my God. So after all of that was said and done, they just changed the name. Now, my question is, are they still working for Steven or did they just abandon him like everyone else did? One thing I know for sure, if it comes out, Again, that he's innocent, we're going to see people once again swinging off his nose hairs. So be prepared for that. So that's all I have for you today. Shoot us an SOS and tell us your thoughts and have them played on the next episode of Basically Detectives. You can either go to our website, www.murderandlove.com and see the SOS button right on the home screen or just click on the link in the show notes below. Now, I do want to apologize that this came out uber late, but I have been traveling and I did not realize that being in a house full of people how hard it is to find a quiet spot. So I have been doing this late at night. And the other night I started recording it to try and get it, this out for you. And I literally fell asleep in the middle of recording it. So I do apologize. This is late. I will try for it not to happen again next week because I'm going to be traveling again next week. So just bear with me. We're going to be back on a regular schedule once I'm back in my house. Don't forget to catch our full length episodes on Sundays and or Check out full commercial-free episodes as well as awesome bonuses by becoming an exclusive LAM member in our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash love and murder. We'd be so excited to see you there. So I'm out, about to go to bed. And remember, lock your doors at night. I should have said that like Rick, huh? Hold on. <clears throat> and remember, lock your doors at night. <laughs> Bye.